Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Good afternoon, everyone. A very, very sunny afternoon. So it's been quite a week. We've had, of course, the local elections. Now, the Tories took a battering. I think that's important to say. Uh, it was on the worse end of what they privately predicted, despite attempts in the Telegraph to suggest they were on course to lose many more hundreds of seats than they actually did. That was never going to happen. But they still took an absolute battering. Question is, did Labour make enough progress to be comfortable, for example, forming at least a minority government in the event of a hung parliament, let alone a majority? But it isn't all, of course, it hasn't all been about the local elections. On the day of the local election results coming through, the so-called Beergate scandal, which I have to say people like myself dismissed out of hand, appeared to engulf the Labour leadership. So we're going to be talking about the latest on that, the latest revelations, what does it all mean? Is Keir Starmer in a lot of trouble? But more broadly, does he have a shot at becoming Labour leader? We'll talk about the kind of internal wrangling of the Labour Party. That's what we like to do on the left. So later on, we'll be joined by Michael Walker from Navarra and, of course, the journalist Paul Mason to offer, I think, different perspectives on what next for the Labour Party. Now, what I'm going to do is bring in first, because we don't have him for long, and we're very lucky to have him, the brilliant, of course, I can't say sociologist, can I, John? Just so John Curtis, how do I pronounce sociologist? I can't do it. It's, it's, it's sophologist. It's why well, you... Uh, oh, and you need to have had an education in the classics, and then it's straightforward. But Stephos uh, uh, in Greek. Not the first person to tell myself to get a bit more educated, and you won't be the last. Um, John, obviously very familiar on our screens uh, during every election period in particular. Let's just have a look quickly at where things now stand, because I saw your analysis throughout the night on the local elections, as I'm sure many people did. So we can see here the change in net change for councillors for the Conservatives, minus 491. That is a battering, I would say. Uh, Labour up 115. Lib Dems up 222. Independents up 44. SNP up 22. Uh, Plaid have gone down six. Oh, well, that's interesting in of itself. The Green Party have gone up 85. Um, and the projected share, according to Thrasher here, Labour 35%, Tories 33%. So firstly, George, just firstly, how bad are things for the Tories? How bad was that in terms of the loss of seats for the Conservatives? Well, I think the way I would put it is that the Conservatives are now in choppy electoral waters. Uh, and they are so for the first time in this parliament. Um, indeed, perhaps it's been pretty remarkable that it certainly as compared with the records of most governments, um, that it's taken as long as this for it to happen. Um, we might even feel that um, at least there's a risk of a gale uh, coming down the track for them, um, but they're not as yet at least in the teeth of a hurricane. I mean, certainly... Um, neither the opinion polls nor these local election results suggest that this government is in as much trouble as John Major's government was for quite a few years before 1997. Um, but, of course, the, re the reason why um, this, it, we, we are interested in this is that because uh, the government has been ahead for so long in this parliament, um, and that certainly if you compare this result with previous local elections, well... It's not as bad for the Conservatives as 2019, when Theresa May was desperately trying and failing to get her party's endorsement of the Brexit um, agreement that she'd reached with the European Union. But if you leave that to one side, it is actually the worst local election performance by the Conservatives since before the EU referendum. And to that extent, at least, is a reminder that the delivery of Brexit on its own is not necessarily going to 
deliver the Conservatives' victory in the next election. In other words, those people who voted for the Conservatives in 2019, most of them leave voters. Um, now that Brexit's been delivered, will be concerned about other things ranging from the cost of living crisis to Partygate. And again, the opinion polls have shown pretty consistently throughout this parliament that actually while the what was left of the remain element of the Tory coalition has proved to be remarkably loyal. Um, it's the leave element of the Conservative coalition that's been going up and down as the party's popularity in the polls has gone up and down. And that basically now, um, whereas you know, in 2019, the Conservatives commanded the leave vote and Labour was sharing the remain vote uh, with the Liberal Democrats and the SNP. Now, the proportion of Leave voters who say they're going to vote for the Conservatives in another election is barely any higher than the proportion of Remain voters who say they're going to vote Labour. And for as long as that persists, then at least there is a, a fair electoral competition between the two largest parties. In terms of Labour, so obviously you're comparing with 2018 when the equivalent local elections took place. What would you say about Labour's performance compared to four years ago? The answer is that both we and Mornings and Thrush are basically saying it's more or less the same. Um, I think we, uh, we said it was 35 and it was 35 um, uh, four years ago. But if you get into the decimal points, then Labour's vote is actually slightly down. It's particularly down in the north of England um, as compared with four years ago. Um, Labour's strategy, I think, on election night was basically say, well, there's a whole litany of pretty poor election results that we could say we would like to compare ourselves with. But so why don't we just take the one that was the worst one, which was the December 2019 general election, and kind of say, well, we think we're probably going to do better than that. So we're guaranteed to be able to support the claim that we've made progress. I think many of us, however, felt that this wasn't really the test that Labour should be passing. After all, Sakir Starmer is essentially wanting to argue that the Labour Party now, under his leadership, is able to reach parts of the electorate that he wasn't able to reach under Jeremy, under Jeremy Corbyn. And it so happened that the 2018 local elections were Jeremy Corbyn's, uh, or the best performance by Labour under, under Jeremy Corbyn's leadership. Um, so therefore, what Labour really needed to do was to demonstrate that they were doing better than they were four years ago. And it basically... The evidence is that you know they certainly weren't doing better, and at the margin, they might have been doing uh, slightly worse. So, to that extent, at least, um, the Labour Party cannot uh, claim at the moment to have reached a new heights. And the truth is, you know, the seat gains that Labour have made are much more of a reflection of the decline in Conservative support than it is a rise in Labour support. You have to remember with a single member plurality system, you can gain seats even if you don't make any progress, simply if your opponents go down. And the same basically is also true in Scotland. Why is Labour second? Well, yes, it's votes up by two points as compared with 2017, but that was a pretty dire performance in itself. Um, it's, the, it's the five, six point drop in the Conservative north of the border that explains why Labour is second. And the gap between uh, the SNP and Labour in these local elections is exactly what it was five years ago. So I think what one has to say, which has been you know, the message of the opinion polls is that yes, Labour you know, certainly is ahead, um, again, largely because of uh, the problems of the Conservatives rather than because of any great enthusiasm for the Labour Party. If there were to be a general election now, we would probably be having some kind of home parliament um, in which Labour would have to negotiate the shoals of trying to do a deal with Liberal Democrats and or the SNP. Um, but that, you know, the prospect of a Labour overall majority is still something that looks to be quite a distant prospect. And the party has to uh, generate considerably more support than it's got at the moment before that looks in any way like a likely prospect. What do you think about in terms of the Liberal Democrats' performance? Is that a genuine revival? And could that be helpful for Labour in that there are certain seats, of course, which... Yeah. Yeah, which are, it, it would yeah. help. I mean, it, obviously, of course, it's somewhat difficult to tell. But um, if we leave aside oh. 2019 local elections, which, again, as we said earlier, took place uh, when Theresa May was in real trouble and, you know, the Liberal Democrats went on to be second in the European elections uh, just three weeks later. Um, now, this year's is as good as that, more or less. But there isn't any other set of local elections that approximates that. So if we say that, you know, 2019 was the product of the Brexit difficulties and the Liberal Democrats was picking up only vote mm -hmm. Labour, but were uh, at that stage upset that Labour in favour of the second referendum. 
So if we leave that aside, this is actually the best set of local election results for the Liberal Democrats since 2010, since they entered the coalition with the Conservatives. So together with the North Shropshire by-election, perhaps, perhaps the Liberal Democrats are regaining their role as the party of protest, and particularly the party of protest in the middle of uh, a conservative of a conservative administration, and that certainly that progress was primarily in rural areas. You know, not all of them by any means leave voting areas, um, uh, particularly in the south of England. And certainly, if you start looking at the detailed ward results, it is very clear that the best Liberal Democrat advances occurred in places where they were starting off second. To the Conservatives, that's true, even if you compare the results with last, last year, let alone 2018. And yes, it's Labour that's being squeezed. So um, not directly helpful to Labour, but insofar as if indeed voters in uh, Liberal Democrat uh, constituencies, with, you know, constituencies with Liberal Democrats a second, do indeed start voting tactically for the Democrats, that does reduce the chances of the Conservatives getting an overall majority. And of course, the current, I mean, there are absolutely two crucial things one needs to understand about the sophology of the next general election. Number one is the electoral system will make it more difficult for Labour to get an overall majority than the Conservatives. But the second crucial thing you have to understand is the Conservatives do not have any friends in the House of Commons. There probably isn't any of the other political parties, including the DUP, who would now be willing to allow the Conservatives to sustain a minority administration. That basically means once the Conservatives are below 320, the ball would be in Labour's court, even if they've got many fewer seats than the Conservatives. The question is, and the crucial question that will face the Labour Party is, will it be willing to face the price that it would have to pay in order to sustain a minority administration? Now, there are basically two prices that he's likely to face. The first is doing something about proportional representation, that will be the Liberal Democrat price. And the other will be some kind of referendum on Scotland's constitutional future, which will be the SNP's price. Now, I guess that of the two, maybe the Liberal Democrat price will be more acceptable because we certainly know there are plenty of people inside the Labour Party who are in favour of proportional representation. Um, but that's probably the direction uh, in which we would be going if there were to be a hung parliament. And, you know, of course, um, Sakir Stam certainly say repeatedly no chance of a deal um, uh, with, with the SNP. He will deny there's going to be any kind of pact with the Democrats. But I will just remind people, just remember what David Cameron said before the 2010 general election. It will be an absolute disaster, chaos, if there is a hung parliament. Meanwhile, what was going on, uh, Oliver Letwin, his, uh, his policy guru, was reading the Liberal Democrat manifesto in great deal and preparing for coalition negotiations. And I think one you have to recognize that when party leaders are faced with the choice of becoming prime minister or losing the leadership of their party, they tend to, be, they tend to prefer to become prime minister. Last few questions, let, let you go. The Green Party, what do we make, of, we that? make of that? Well, the Greens have been making modest but discernible progress um, in the opinion polls. It's not the best green performance ever. Again, 2019 was somewhat better for them. Um, but And the gains reflect, however, the fact that they're four points up on where they were in 2018. So again, always you have to remember we're looking at 2018. So they had, they'd already made progress since 2018 in other local elections. What I haven't had time to look at and will be interesting to look at is have they succeeded, is the fact that they've gained, gained seats on what is still a relatively modest average performance of around 11, 12%, is that a reflection of an increasing success of concentrating their resources? And is there anywhere else where perhaps they can do a Brighton and begin to be able to uh, get the concentration required to take a parliamentary seat? There wasn't much progress in that direction in 2019. I think, you know, it needs further looking at to see whether or not they're in that direction. But um, yeah, certainly uh, the Greens are starting to eat into some of the um, vote amongst yes voters, um, and that's probably the reason why they were able to gain ground. But for most yet Green voters, the synergy between them and the SNP is one that they're quite comfortable with. John, I think, has frozen, but we did get a lot of fantastic wisdom from John, so we'll probably uh, we'll leave it there with John. Thank you, John Curtis, who's frozen. 
Um, I'll drop him a message afterwards to say thank you. But that was very, very brilliant. Um, just on that, just what I was the point I was going to make, as I said, was in 2013, which is a midterm election, uh, Labour got 29%, the Tories got 25%, and obviously two years later, that didn't bear any re- relation to the general election result. Um, this is a midterm. Generally, what happens is voters can take a kind of guilt-free or, or risk-free punch at the government. Um, so the fact that Labour only two points ahead, I think, raises questions uh just what i bring in our next few guests uh thanks for watching everyone uh if you're watching live i know a lot of you watch on facebook but do click through to the youtube link and press like and subscribe uh you can support us on patreon that keeps the show on the road patreon.com for slash owen joe's 84 you can suggest there are interviews we've got our interview with noam chomsky which i did on friday so we're going to put that up tomorrow we've got interviews coming up with judith butler peter hitchens whole ship a very diverse range there uh and we've got lots of documentaries coming now we're spending more time with the channel which i've not been able to do for reasons i won't bore you with again um obviously uh the podcast a lot of you listen of course on the podcast so do listen to that on the podcast you can just search Owen jones podcast and then you can listen there wherever you are uh, and you can use super chat like peter o'donovan who uh whose question i will put to the guests uh and i will read you all out at the end Right, let's bring in Paul Mason and Michael Walker. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Good. How are you both? Uh, very well. Lovely Should... day outside. I know. I, should... I feel bad that you, you're... I'm, I'm going to a wedding, actually, in the Shard. That's probably going to destroy... I probably shouldn't have said that. Champagne socialist. Great. Here we go. It's a lovely day. Very sunny day, but... It's only a lovely day in southern England. It, it, if this was the BBC, we would all get slaughtered now for, 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 because it's actually raining in the north of England. So all your north of England viewers are saying, you, I, basically. I, I presume it's always raining back home, to be fair. Yeah. But yeah, I am a, a traitor to the north. I think, I think we all know that already. Let's start on a point of unity. Let's just bash the Tories for a little bit uh, before we talk about all this stuff. Let's just bring up, I think, an interview which I think summed up so much about where the Conservatives currently are um and why they should they should be in a bigger mess than they are frankly let's just have a look at this clip which i think many people have seen from good morning britain about a number of our viewers who have got in touch with us about the choices that they're making elsie is 77 she's a widow and she's a pensioner who lives in a council house she receives a pension of 170 pounds a week her energy bills have gone get this from 17 pounds a month to £85 a month. She will pay an additional £816 a year. To cut down on spending, Prime Minister, Elsie has now resorted to eating one meal a day. She's 77 years old. She's losing weight. She goes to the supermarket at the end of the day to buy yellow sticker discounted items. She gets up early in the morning to use her Freedom Bus Pass to stay on buses all day to avoid using energy at home. What else should Elsie cut back on? In your well, I don't want Elsie to cut back on anything. Let's talk about, about Elsie and what we're, uh, what we're, what we're doing. And I just remind you that the, uh, the 24 hour freedom bus pass was something that I actually introduced, just, just parenthetically. Marvellous, so Elsie should but, be grateful but, but, to you no, for her bus no, pass. But, but, but what else should she- <laughs> <laughs> what you say? Well, it's, it's something out of the darkest of satires, that isn't it really? I mean, presented with a case study of an elderly woman sitting on a bus to keep warm, and the Prime Minister says, well, actually, I introduced that freedom pass to allow her to do that. And he didn't even do that. He lied. Though, to be fair, I don't think he really understands the distinction between truth and lies, so maybe he doesn't know when he's lying. Yeah, Michael, just in terms of that, because we are, I think it's really important, because, you know, we will talk about Beergate, because we have to, but cost of living crisis is the defining issue of modern politics. The longest squeeze in living standards since the Napoleonic age before the current squeeze. That's how about two decades of lost growth. We're going to go through two decades where people's wages are the same in real terms as they were when the crash happened. It's astonishing. So what do you, what do you make of that in terms of Boris Johnson, that response and what it says about where the Conservatives are politically at the moment? Well, I think what it means is that whoever is leader of the Labour Party at the next general election, they'll have a decent chance of of winning. I wouldn't really write off anyone as Labour leader for potentially beating this Conservative Party in their current form. I mean, I was reading, it's very much an aside, but uh, apparently the, the Conservative spin doctors are now trying to spin that event as Boris Johnson had food poisoning. So he actually had apparently a secret signal to say if he needed to rush off and puke. Um, so if, you know, 
potentially we're supposed to be more forgiving of him for, for that performance than we otherwise would. I, I suppose it goes without saying that the Conservatives are just, I mean, very proactively, it seems, done nothing to resolve people's issues when it comes to the, the cost of living crisis. We've got inflation of 8%, benefits are going up by 3%. You've got Boris Johnson saying, oh, we couldn't possibly raise them because that would only further increase inflation. Nonsense. I mean, the inflation is driven by supply side issues. But at the same time, the idea that it is people on, on benefits or this 77 year old woman, Elsie, who should be paying the price of that, you know, in his mind to keep people's mortgage rates low. I don't think anyone is particularly buying. And it is why when Boris Johnson sort of, I, I saw him on, on Friday, I think, when he was talking about the election results, saying the message to us is obviously a completely boilerplate response. The message to us is we need to get on with the job and focus on the issues uh, that matter to people, the people's priorities. And what are they? I mean, now he's got Brexit done. There is nothing uh, I think that Conservatives are offering that anyone's going to want remotely. You know, there is a cost of living crisis and they're not offering anything, you know, at all. We can talk about whether Labour are doing enough, but I think, you know, they'll be happy with the fact that they've got this um, issue of the the windfall tax on the energy company sort of constantly being thrown at the Conservatives. I presume, I mean, I'm, I'm confident they could do more, but they could hardly do less than the Conservatives are doing right now. I like the way you basically essentially just said that Boris Johnson shat himself on national television. Okay, fine. <laughs> sorry, sorry. That's his spin doctors. It wasn't from me. Sure. They basically said he shat himself on national television. I'm sorry <laughs> to be so crude on this lovely sunny Sunday afternoon. Paul, just what's your response to that? Well, I think that the, the inflation that we've already seen, which is eroding our real living standards, is, is actually only half of what we're going to see by the end of the year. This new Bank of England prediction that we get 10% inflation and then uh, minus a quarter of a percent GDP growth. I mean, that's stagflation. Hopefully, um, like all inflations, it, it peaks out because there are some one offs. You know, it's the price spiking energy price because of the Ukraine war, spiking food prices. But, but those are realistic projections. And we haven't even seen that. Elsie hasn't even seen. I mean, she's gone, you know, from whatever it was, £17 a month to £85 a month. She could be looking at £150 a month. And that is, what does what does that mean? It doesn't mean that just elderly working class women on their own are going to be just panicking, to be honest, about how they're going to get from one month to the next. But you see it all the way up the value chain. You know, the sort of, we already, every one of us who lives in anywhere near a working class area sees young mums you know, trying to young parents, mainly young mums, trying to you know, literally hovering at the end of the aisle where until the yellow stickers come on at five o'clock to get cheap food. Well, it, it's it's already a question of heating versus eating um, for them. Uh, and, and, and it might get worse. Meanwhile, you're 20, 30 somethings who at the moment, you know, that people in work, people who, you know, they, they're always looking forward to a, a pay rise. 10% inflation, unless you've got a very, very strong trade union, like the RMT on steroids, that can get you a 10% pay rise, um, it's a 10% pay cut, one off. And they're going to be looking at the end of the week um, at, you know, uh, you know, not going out. So all sections of society, it's not what they're feeling now, bad though that is, it's what they're going to be feeling when we hit that double-digit inflation plus recession. Uh, and I think that the task of politicians is actually to outline an answer to this. And I, I mean, Michael mentioned the, the windfall tax. The windfall tax raises a billion, a billion and a half. It's nothing. The energy security problem for ordinary people and food security as well, just actually eating, is going to be such a huge problem that uh, even Labour's, you know, the, the the, the obvious red water they've put between themselves over, you know, windfall taxes and other measures won't be enough. We're going to have to look at, you know, and this is the problem for for for, for both Labour and the Tories. You, we just need radical fiscal intervention, you know, radical intervention with uh, measures on the supply side, like price caps, like rent caps. Um, otherwise, uh, I think there'll be really major discontent. And I'll just finish and say, well, obviously, we're all obsessed with elections, elections. Yeah, I am. But I'm also interested in discontent. Discontent doesn't just uh, express itself through elections. It, it expresses itself through riots. It expresses itself through, um, you know, civil unrest. And 
I mean, nobody watching this program, I I think, I'm trying to think, 10% inflation. You know, I remember when the steelworkers got 20% pay rise in 1980. But do, does anybody know what 10% inflation feels like? Mm. I'm, I'm not sure. So let's talk about Labour, shall we? Because I think we have different perspectives there. Now, we listen to the man, the great man, John Curtis. He is the preeminent pathologist. <laughs> I really can't say it. Uh, let's have a look. Rejected vote share. So again, Labour 35%, Tories 33%. Now, if we again look at the councillors, Labour up 115 So the Tories lost. I mean, the Tories got battered. I think we really can say that. Like, minus 491. That's the lower end of what they, they feared. Um, but Labour were not the principal beneficiaries there at all. And in fact, they didn't do much better than the Greens in terms of how many they gained. Michael, what's your response to what John's analysis was of where Labour... And the point he made was a lower percentage. Labour, Labour's vote share was actually slightly lower than 2018. And actually, the point he made about the North was those... Keir Starmer's everything. That's his political strategy to win those areas back. So they've gone backwards compared to 2018. Yeah, I mean, the, the graph that I saw, which seemed the most worrying for Labour, was showing how vote share had changed in different regions of, of the UK. And it was only in London that it increased and everywhere else it had fallen since since 2018. And I mean, I agree with John. That's, that's what we should be comparing this to. I've heard people sort of say, oh, well, you can't. Uh, 2018, Labour had the red wall. So it, it doesn't matter if he's going back a little bit there, because that means he could still win back some of those seats. Well, Saying we still had the red wall in 2018, I mean, I, I'm not sure that's particularly credible. It was in between an election where we held on to it by a thread and an election where we lost it incredibly dramatically. So, so I don't think you can say, oh, if, if, we're, if we're performing like we did in 2018, that, that means we can win back those seats. I, I don't think anyone can be confident about that. Do these elections mean that Labour can't possibly become the largest party at the next general election? Absolutely not. I mean, I, I think that's perfectly plausible, perfectly possible. I suppose I was trying to think today, what would be, you know, if you're a real Keir Starmer stan, what would be your positive spin on this? And I've got it, which is that you could say uh, the problem with Jeremy Corbyn was that he scared people. The problem with Keir Starmer is he doesn't excite anyone. So you could say that you might expect Keir Starmer to do better in a general election than in a local election because there are less people, you know, he, he can't infuse anyone during a low stakes election, but maybe he won't send people out to vote against him in a high stakes election. So, Potentially, they could sort of say he he's well placed to do better in a general than Jeremy Corbyn, but it's it's not a high, it's it's not looking good for someone who has rested their whole identity as Labour leader on I am someone who can win. Like I, I've seen today, sort of tweets saying, you know, Keir Starmer said, well, we shouldn't talk about Beergate. We should talk about the real issues that are facing the country right now, and we should talk about my my big ideas. Mm-hmm. What are your big ideas? You know, what are the real issues facing the country? So if if all you can say is say. I'm electable and I'm an upstanding citizen. Yeah. If your election results aren't particularly good and now you're being investigated by the police, you're going to need something else to run on. We'll come on to that because it's a really critical point. Paul, I mean, I just want to put to you that the expectations management by the Labour leadership was an exercise in epic gaslighting because the whole thing was um, were, we, 2018's results were so good. Who? Sorry, who's Labour leader at the time? Oh, it was Jamie Corbyn. Um, that because of long Corbyn, hello, uh, that we won't, we'll, we'll struggle to do as well as we did under Jamie Corbyn because of long Cor- Corbyn. I mean, it doesn't make any yeah. sense. It's completely inconsistent. And what it does show, do you not think, the whole, their whole shtick, the revisionism of Labour history is 2017 was just a blip. It was an aberration. Theresa May fucked it. And that's why Labour did well. And actually, 2018 showed they sustained that, didn't they? It wasn't a blip. So do you not accept it's epic gaslighting, the Labour leadership's expectation management? I, I, I mean, I tend to, to just ignore expectation management anyway. I mean, I think part of it is true. That is, the, the, the part of it that is true is that it, it is, you know, there, it was a high point um, and they needed to go beyond it. Um, the whole long Corbyn thing is, is, is I think, well, there's, uh, part of that is true, but it's not the reason why they're, they're not going, it's, that's not the reason why they're not going forward. I'll come to why I think it is. Um, I think what, I, I do take issue with John Curtis. I mean, cephology is, as he said, it's the study of pebbles. It's the study of literally how many, how many, how many stones were thrown on this side and on the other. There are other ways of understanding electoral dynamics. One of them is MRP polling, which I'm a bigger fan of. And MRP polling, uh, that is, you you look at the demographics of certain areas and you you dig into them. No, I haven't done it. I don't do it. But 
in a kind of intuitive way. I'm just looking at a couple of places. Lee, where I come from, uh, Labour was winning wards that were quite Brexity. Uh, in Lee, a lot of the Brexity wards are where miners used to live. And, and they were winning. And also where they weren't winning, they were quite close. Um, that's one thing. Nuneaton, where they went backwards, again, there's really interesting little microcosm in Nuneaton. Lots and lots of places where the difference, where if you add the Labour and the Green vote, Labour would either just have won or just have, or just have lost. So for me, I take the positives that there is a direction of travel, even within parts of the Red Wall. The problem is Red Wall isn't isn't uh, it's not a homogeneous thing. If you look at places like Mansfield, um, places like uh, Amber Valley, there there is a cultural difference. Like Radcliffe, like okay, I was told that Labour pulled its campaigning teams from Radcliffe, which is an area in Bury, and those who know it and you know know and love it, it it's like got a, a hegemonic Gramscian uh, party called Radcliffe um, Independence. Uh, and um, and they scooped the pool. They won everything, and that's because I mean they're not primarily Brexity, but it's a bit Brexity that 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 party. Now, well, what we can say, the huge positives are the London councils. And again, you know, as someone who's interested in the dynamics of class struggle rather than elections, I see the, those London council results as the part of the continuing radicalization, not just of London but of the urban proletariat. You know, I mean, yeah. seeing Brist Bristol, Worthing, you know. Everywhere where there is sort of university educated people and a salaria, labor is really doing well. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, st I still agree that they're nowhere near being able to form a majority government. Uh, but as Curtis said, that might that might not be what the next election is about. Let's talk about Beergate. Now, I have to say, I was one of those people who basically dismissed that out of hand as a right-wing desperate attempt to deflect from Partygate, which obviously engulfed the government with pretty politically disastrous consequences. Um, and I feel like an idiot now, to be honest. Um, and I think this is actually quite revealing, partly because actually Labour bet the house on this, because Labour's whole shtick under Starmer was, we're going to be, the dividing lines are integrity, honesty, um, you know, it, it's a test of character almost, um, rather than having transformative policies to deal with the cost of living crisis. Now, let's just explain. Let's just quickly go through why, why I'm an idiot, basically. Um, let's just listen. Let's just see what uh, the latest Keir Starmer interview is doing this. As I've explained a number of times, um, I was working in the office. We stopped for something to eat. There was no party. There was no breach of the rules. I'm confident about that. Police have obviously got to do their job. But meanwhile, I'm here in Scotland because we've had a fantastic set of results, the best results for 10 years coming second in Scotland. There's a smile on all of our faces and we've taken this council. So uh, Labour is very clearly back on the pitch and we're turning the corner and now we're marching towards that general election. Yeah. Um, oh dear me, me. So basically, these are like a complete idiot. I thought we had the ops note, but we the basic an ops note has been published which shows very clearly um that um this was a pre-planned dinner which went on for which was planned for one hour 20 minutes uh a staffer is briefing i know people be like oh they're briefing the right-wing media fine i'm fine for people to say that to be honest with you but nonetheless a staffer is briefing that no work was done afterwards now what keir starmer the reason i defended him isn't in his in interviews he kept saying um that oh we were working and then we stopped very briefly to have some food and carry Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now, what Joe Morn, the lawyer, will be a, we've interviewed him on the show several times. First, whether or not you think the investigation is politically motivated, I think there were proper questions which arise for Starman's team. Um, um, and it seems, he says, plainly right, Durham police should investigate them. Um, that they should, he says, investigate Cummings, but uh, two wrongs don't make a right. Um, and he said he really wouldn't want to be placing a bet that Stam hasn't broken the law. So he thinks it's entirely possible that he's broken the law. Why is this important? Well, I mean, Kirsten, I mean, they, Rishi Sunak, let's be honest, Rishi Sunak's political career was destroyed by turning up to a meeting early to have, and and he didn't know there was going to be a birthday and having some birthday cake. If we're going to be honest, that's what happened. But you see, Labour went for him on that viciously and aggressively and succeeded in scalping him. Now, if you've got the Labour leadership who went so hard on this, and it's clear that they had, when they were campaigning, they had a social event indoors, not with people in their own bubble, which is what the law allowed for at the time, and they didn't work, which is what staffers are briefing the newspapers. Well, he's cooked, isn't one he? Oh, Owen, it's one staffer, and you're wrong. The, 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 the operations note proves that it was a work event. It was, it was because work... Why does it prove it's a work event if they're having it? What, it allowed for, for social events for people outside of... Uh, no, it, it says nothing to do with but a social event. Mary Foy was there as part of, part of the right. event. One... But one and two, that work stops at the end of the day after the after the dinner. That would, to me, prove that number one, that it was a work event, and I think that's the reason that you know whatever. Yes, the Tories have managed to uh, knock Labour off the news cycle or that they want that the, the agenda they wanted. Yes, um, it's given some ammunition to the right wing press, and it is, of course, a right wing. Paul, um, this is what sorry, Paul. This is what the Tories. You you you're, you're literally regurgitating what the Tories said about their events. Well, you're, say, it's, you're saying the same I, thing they did. I, I don't care because the point is, Keir hasn't broken the law. How do you they know? That? Only, why why does Jolly and Morm think they might have broken the law when he's a lawyer look, and you don't? Jolly and Morm's uh, um, Twitter thing starts with the thing, I don't know much about this. Okay. No, he didn't say uh, that. He said, ah, he didn't. No, he didn't say that. He said he had. Well, let's, go, let's have an argument about him. Let's okay. have an argument about Keir. Keir, it's quite clear that, he, that, 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 that they didn't break the law because it was a work event, number one. This source briefing the Times, very interesting, isn't it? One source um, doesn't brief that Keir uh, broke the law at all. This source has a grudge against Mary Foy. OK, and <laughs> for people in the Labour movement, that might give you, you know, you don't want to you don't want to jigsaw identify. Well, I don't think we're going to do a character assassination now on. No, no, I'm going to do a character yeah. assassination of a source who's not been revealed. Well, I know. Well, well, I, I think source, exactly. So we can't. We don't know who he is. So we can't the, do that. But the Times said that the right. the 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 mail. The Times reported that the mail was being helped by people or a person who was from the left and didn't like Starmer. Fine. Well, the police will take that into account. I think Starmer will come out of this with increased moral authority. He'll be proved innocent, and okay. so that's my prediction. Maybe and, he will. Maybe he will. Yeah. So, Michael, so why would we, the left, join in? some kind of Tory-initiated right-wing pylon that's only there to knock a, to distract from the issue of cost of living and all the other fuck-ups that they're doing. Michael, are we essentially by being Tory stooges by indulging this? And do you think Keir Starmer has been honest? Oh, well, I, I mean, I think it depends what you do. So I was, I was thinking about the difference between sort of what some on the left are doing now vis-a-vis -vis Starmer and what some on the right did vis-a-vis -vis Jeremy Corbyn. And I, I do think, you know, if, if I were to get a spot on question time this week or whatever I wouldn't have a question thrown at me about whether Keir Starmer would be a good prime minister um when it comes to the economy and say no this guy's dishonest because he potentially lied about some curry he had in Durham once and, and that was the kind of thing that the right were doing to Jeremy Corbyn you know there was there was different issues of the day and they were booking their 8 10 p.m their, their 8 a.m slot on the today program to trash him and say the real issue here is anti-semitism blah, blah 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 if there was anyone on the left who was doing that it was sort of like hogging the camera to make every sort of potential good news story for Labour, one about Keir Starmer having a curry and a beer in Durham in in 2021. I do think that would be a problem. And I do think you could very reasonably say you're doing the Tories job for them in the same way that Margaret Hodge was doing the Tories job for them back in back in 2019. I think it's a very different story when you've got people who are essentially just doing commentary on, on Twitter and are refusing to fall in line with and do Starmer's job for him, essentially, because for me, the issue here is I'm not a lawyer, right? 
I don't know if the law was broken. My understanding is the question isn't just was it a work event, it's was it an event which was reasonably necessary for work? And so the, the argument which Jolyon Morm is putting forward, and he's a lawyer, I'm not a lawyer, he's saying all the facts that I can see in front of me, this it, it, it looks like this is probably not reasonably necessary for work. There are other, you know, QCs. I don't, I've seen Adam Wagner do a thread where he's saying, no, potentially this was reasonably necessary for work. I don't know. I, I'm not a lawyer. I haven't poured over the regulations. But I think what seems to me to be the case is that there's a high chance, you know, a, a non-negligible chance that Keir Starmer gets a fine from this. And I do think if he gets a fine from this, he's going to have to resign. And yeah. And that's well, not David because what he's done is, yeah. Do you think that, Starmer that's not because what he's done is is morally equivalent to to Boris Johnson? I think we should be absolutely clear. Boris Johnson's fine was an indication that he'd taken part in a pattern of behaviour which was deeply offensive to anyone yeah. who'd suffered during COVID nineteen. Keir Starmer hasn't done that, but what Keir Starmer has done is stood up and said because Boris Johnson is being investigated by the police, he should resign. Now the defence there is, oh, he was talking within a context of Boris Johnson having broken all of these laws and it being horrendous. Fair enough. I think you know. It's awkward for him, but I think you can plausibly make that case. The Rishi Sunak thing one, I don't, because Rishi Sunak did just turn up to a meeting a bit early. There was a birthday cake, right? It, it, it wasn't as, it wasn't particularly offensive to the victims of COVID-19, but he got fined and Keir Starmer said, that's enough that you should resign. If Keir Starmer now gets fined in an event, which I agree, I don't find particularly offensive. You know, I, I don't think that was an FU to the victims of COVID. But if he gets fined and he's called for Rishi Sunak to, fight, to to resign over exactly the same thing, I don't see how he can maintain his position as leader of the Labour Party without becoming a national object of ridicule. I mean, that's true, isn't it, Paul? David, David Barata says, if he doesn't resign, what damage will his hypocrisy do to the party? I think, um, like I say, I don't think he's going to be found guilty. And one, I don't think he's going to be found in breach of the law. Two, um, the, the Durham police do not issue retrospective fines. Because if they did, they'd have to find uh, Dominic Cummings as well. So again, if, if it were me, what he would, here's what I say: I'm a class fighter. You know, I see this as a complete setup job by the by the right by the right wing media to distract right. from the fact that the that, that, that Labour is actually advancing, that the Tories are in trouble. And so, if it, so, if it were me, one option would be to say, yes, of course, we did call for all these people to resign. Um, if the Durham Police uh, have been bounced into a investigation by a bunch of false information and then found me guilty yeah uh, and then revived making me the only person that they've ever retrospectively fined i see that as a political attack as political policing and i, I would fight back no i don't think it's too, i don't think That's it's exactly the same back. as the metropolitan police and rishi sunak though no i mean they weren't going to, they initially labor said we're not, not going to do a retrospective investigation no. ah yeah but the, but labor is not responsible for the metropolitan police it's not responsible for the timing or the decision uh, when they when they decided to, uh, they backed it. They they they, they said they this is a great thing and they should they resign because the investigation is open. It. So it would... they was it, it Paul? Paul, just Remember quickly, the, the yeah. Tories the Tories suggested that the Metropolitan Police had been bounced into doing their investigation by political pressure. That's what. Hold on a minute. The, 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 the Sue Gray report, which originated as a, as the Cabinet Secretary's report, i.e., the investigation was already underway. So right. the point is that 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 there was. Uh, a, a pattern of provable, proven law-breaking, unproven, self-admitted, Allegra Stratton, one. Two, there's an investigation going on into it. And in many ways, the, the Met intervention puts the stymie on that investigation. I still that inve think that investigation would be what finishes Johnson. Three, Johnson then lied to Parliament, which is something that Starmer hasn't done. Uh, and so you know, what, what we must be really careful about is not erecting moral equivalences between these things when he hasn't even been been found guilty and can't let's, be fined and without a major act of political policing. Let's move on from that. I mean, in a sense, Beer Gate for me, I'm not that personally invested, as I've, as I've already said. And I think the point that you make about lying, I think this is really important. And I think we need to get to this point. And it's not a discussion that the media has had for very fascinating reasons. Boris Johnson is an epic liar. I mean, lying is woven into his very the very fabric of his being. His whole political career is based on deceit. And as I said, I don't think he knows the difference between truth or lies himself, though I'll spare everyone the cod psychology. But that doesn't mean Keir Starmer isn't himself a fundamentally dishonest politician, because he is, isn't he, Paul? His whole leadership campaign, and I think we need to talk about this because I think it's about where Labour goes from here, is the most dishonest leadership campaign in the history of British democracy. No leader has ever stood for leadership of their party and won. And 
marched so dramatically in the opposite direction. Tony Blair didn't say he was going to revise Clause 4 when he stood for leader, but he damn well made clear which direction his leadership was going to go in. Now, what, what Starmer did is he said he was going to be basically Corbynism without Corbyn. And what he's offering now is Blairism without Blair and indeed the charisma. And I'm just interested in this, Paul, because I'm not saying this to have a go, because I just think this is where we go from here. Just in terms of what you said at the time, because I think this is a discussion we never had. And I, I, you know, John Maynard Keynes said, when the facts change, I change my views. What, what do you do, sir? And I've had to be held account for things I've got very wrong, as everyone knows. This is what you said in the, in the leadership campaign. And I want to see if you've changed your opinion. Mm. Okay. So you said, if you don't think Keir Starmer would advance the class struggle, you're possibly not understanding social democracy correctly from a Marxist perspective. He said that Keir is firmly on the left, albeit a different left than the corbyn McDonald tradition. I think we can all agree on that. He will stick by the economic radicalism of 2015 to 2019. Above all, Green New Deal, rejecting austerity and fighting for a new economic model. And you also... Oh, that's the same one. But you also, so you said very clearly at the time that he was go, and you said sorry. The other tweet that I don't have is that he was not going to purge the left. Yeah. Now, in the Sunday Times last week, Keir Starmer hints expulsion for Labour's NATO skeptic MPs, and that is within Keir Starmer's office. His advisors, who are all a bunch of Blairites now, because all the lefties that they kept for the leadership campaign in order to dupe people on the left into voting Keir Starmer, they're gone. They've been they've been basically let lost by attrition he is intellectually apparently sold on kicking out 11 left-wing mps and i predicted last year with you both here that they would do this because that they would end up saying we'll end up relying on these left-wing mps in a hung parliament um, and they don't want to do that so they'll kick them out and they're already talking about doing that isn't it just the case paul you got this one wrong keir starmer whatever is going on in his head his project is a new Labour revanchist project. It's the hard right of the Labour Party, and they want the left permanently buried and exiled. And their economic programme, such as it is, is a tinkering around the edges, which is why they went on the hard on party gate, because they don't have any transformative policies. So there's a, that's a long uh, list of yeah. things. I think the first thing, thing is to come back to your original point. Is he a fundamentally dishonest politician? No. Uh, I don't think so. I think he's he's true to his values. I've, I know what his values are. I described them. I just well, I described them at the time uh, in in all the stuff that I've written. They are basically left Rawlsian liberalism. He is a Rawlsian liberal in the sense that he believes in social justice and the state as a way to deliver it. That that's that's basically what it is. Now, uh, is let let's come to bit by bit through this. Okay, so what did I get wrong? Did I get things wrong? First of all, that um. Uh, Marx, from a social, from a Marxist viewpoint, was a wind-up to this. To a, I, I don't want to use pejorative terms about people, but someone who um, is not in touch with reality, called Joshua Y. Jackson. Uh, and if you look at it, it's a re it's a reply, right? It's not a tweet saying it, it's it's a reply to this guy's mania. Um, and and I think no, it is it, it, for for let's take let's let's take the things he's done i'm not going to defend everything about what he's done but one thing that he and rachel reeves who's more to the right of labor than he is have done is deliver a green new deal style fiscal uh, offer the 28 billion a year that's a big thing and it was something that was fought for inside labor and i think it gives us on the left a, a, a shell of money which we can fill with radical proposals that's one thing um the purging of the left. Let's move to that. Okay, I, I what what did he do wrong? First of all, he took a, a series of stupid and needless whipping decisions that forced people like Nadia Whittam and Olivia Blake and all the rest of them out of the shadow, uh, out of the sh sh you know, out of their front bench roles, you know, their PPS roles, and some shadow cabinet ministers. And then number two, I think the way he handled the Rebecca Long Bailey thing was needless, and and another example of trying to push. Corbynites out. That's that, that's another thing. So I disagree with fundamentally with the way he has handled the left. As to whether it's Kia who's pushing for the those eleven MPs to go, um, I'd say probably not. I think not. Uh, from my, from you said he was definitely not going to purge the left, Paul, in the leadership. Hold on a minute. Wait a minute. On the specifics. On the specifics. It's it's more people on the to the right of him. In the you know the people who are pushing for the 11. Remember, that those 11, I think, got duped into signing an absolutely disgraceful uh, petition that, the, the, you know, 
I've heard other left MPs say who probably end their careers full stop because what, how can you trust them if you are a anti-NATO, pro-Putin leftist? How could you ever trust them ever again? Um, so, but that, that's but I don't want them. I, I want them to be in. I want them to stop signing, stop the war petitions, and become a, a far more vibrant left. Did I thought so? Number one. I think the left has walked into a bunch of purges, to be honest. When we talk about purging the left, you know, per people who you know, almost as if they stand up and sort of arms spread, shout, shoot me now by by tweeting stuff that they know is going to get them uh, expelled. I think that's for them to decide. Um, in the end, I think there is too much discipline. There is too much use of disciplinaries. I'm certainly against the prescription of workers' liberty. I'm certainly against uh, the prescriptions of some of the other groups. Uh, and yeah, we are at war for democracy. But you know, remember, it's not just Kiev. There's a right wing to the right of him that's lining up to, to get rid of him. Um, and I think, like some of the people on the left today, they would be highly delighted if he had to resign as a result of Beergate because they're lining up all and raising funds already so michael we're, yeah we're gonna run out of time so michael what's oh, your, no 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 it's fine it's my i asked a very long rambling question michael in terms of just the honesty of Keir Starmer, because I, I mean the argument i would say is it's you know the media i would say let him get off the hook for the most as i said dishonest leadership campaign in the history of british democracy if people can find a more dishonest leadership campaign i'd love to hear it but um and they because the those on the receiving end were the left and we're not legitimate political actors you can do what you want to the left that's fine that's how british politics works but now they're trying to do him over on potentially a much, much smaller uh, dishonesty, aren't they? So what's your just response to what Michael, uh, sorry, what Paul said and, and about the honesty of, of Keir Starmer? I mean, I suppose, uh, I suppose we can talk about honesty. I mean, I, I think his honesty speaks for itself. He will say one thing one day and say another thing the other. I agree with what you've said, that the media don't care about the leadership election being uh, a scam because they don't see the, the left as legitimate political actors. Potentially now, because he's made truthfulness and integrity sort of the only thing he stands for you know it would be a pretty ridiculous reason to have to resign as leader of the Labour Party for having a curry and a beer um but you know I I wouldn't shed a tear for him um I suppose the thing I I, I want to push back on just because I feel like it's an important thing to say given who's going to be watching this show is I do think it's it's pretty not cool essentially to say that the people who've been expelled from the Labour Party basically waved a flag and said please expel me. Now I don't know all of the cases I'm sure we could go through all of the various ones and there are different things we could disagree about but the one that sort of stands out to me most is Pamela Fitzpatrick she was sort of like a very impressive campaigner mm. for welfare rights I remember going campaigning for her with my mum who also Same. worked on welfare rights she was like I campaigned brilliant for well, yeah. she started the I think it's the Harrow Law Centre stood to be General Secretary of the Labour Party, exactly the kind of person who you want to be sitting on, on the Labour benches. She gets expelled for having a meeting once with socialist action before socialist action were prescribed. Now, if if your response to that is to say, well, she probably asked for it, socialist I do think you've potentially lost your way a little bit. And, and I, I think it, it is an issue of respect. I think fair enough, fair enough to say, look, a few unjust suspensions, if what they're going to do is 28 billion a year in a Green New Deal, like we can disagree about how plausible that is. But I think, fine, it's fair enough to say he's done these bad things, but I, I want this money invested into the green economy. But to sort of turn around and say, if you've been expelled from the Labour Party in the past two years, you probably asked for it, I think is is not really, not you shouldn't really let it pass. No, I'm not saying that of everybody, but there are some and they are the lowest ones. Pamela Fitzpatrick, I take the point. There are others. Again, all the retrospective justice. What I would prefer is to bring in natural and indeed legal justice to the Labour Party. This is why the rule change they're bringing in is so pernicious. They're trying to get natural justice out of the Labour Party. I think we should we should all have a right to sue for our our ability to be members. Uh, I think what, what the investigations into JVL have been uh, a disaster as well. So I'm not look, I'm not trying to defend the 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 purges. I'm against them. I'll fight against them on, on an individual basis. But I mean, pragmatically... Unless someone signed a, a petition against NATO, potentially. No, no. The, what, I would, what I'd say about that is that it's not signing a petition against NATO. It's signing a petition blaming NATO for a war on the eve of which a guy invades and starts genociding the Ukrainian people. You can, if, if you think it's going to be fun going on the, on the doorstep uh, with an MP who's done that, then it'll be much worse than what it was in parts of the Midlands with Corbyn. It's just going to be awful. And, and I think that I would question the judgment of everybody who did it. I don't want to expel them. I think they, I want to hear from them what they've learned, actually. Uh, for me, the most important thing that happens in the world is this 
horrific conflict um, and getting it so badly wrong as a Labour MP. And, and, and by the way, we're not just dealing with the left people. We're dealing with people on the Tory right. We're dealing with Labour MPs who turn out to have taken half a million pounds from China. Oh, well, I mean, say, but isn't that just quickly? It's a double standard, isn't it? I mean, loads of Saudi, so loads of Tory Labour MPs have gone to Saudi Arabia, paid for by the Saudi regime. They still for the Saudi dictatorship. Is it carpet bombs Yemen? They they support the Turkish regime. Like, yeah. I mean, this is hypocrisy, though, isn't it? The standards. Well, the one who supported the Turkish regime is now a Tory peer, isn't he? So it kind Good of point. Good point. Yeah. And you've got a Labour leader who who says, "Oh, human rights watch Betzalem." And well, Amnesty no. International all say Israel is apartheid. I disagree with them. Actually, it's a beacon of democracy. Now, yeah. I don't want to go on a doorstep with that guy, but you know, well, can, not can you sort of make can you make disciplinary decisions based on that? Well, but that was your argument for why someone well, signing no, no, a, a NATO not. letter you disagree with should be kicked yeah. out of the party. Yeah, so like, where are you drawing the line? What? Yeah. Why are you drawing well, the line exactly where the right wing press do? Essentially, is what I'm asking. Well, it's not just where the right wing press would do. I think it's where any any decent socialist would do. But why would they I mean, draw it there and not apartheid Israel? That's what I'm saying. That's, well, okay, because because the Labour Party, yeah. because the yeah. Labour Party has a strong Zionist tradition. In fact, a mainstream Zionist tradition, uh, and always has had. I'm not a Zionist. About, I don't. But it's not about Zionism or not. It's about do you recognise the uh, systematic. The, the systematic violation of human rights, Allah. You, know, you can be a Zionist and still think Israel is an apartheid. Yeah, state. Yeah, there are Zionists who think that. No, absolutely. Yeah. So, 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 why, do, why, why, why the difference? Because Ukraine is a war which we, which are, which has just started and is killing. So I'm sorry. No, the no, occupation. No. Just because. You're, so the occupation of Palestine. Because it's it? happened for decades. You're, te you're telling me that anybody who supports the anybody who supports the state of Israel is that's what you're saying. No, 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 be no, very careful. No, no, no one has said that remotely, Paul. So the, the issue so you're making you is so you're saying that saying that NATO potentially provoked Russia's invasion. No, no, they didn't say potentially. They said NATO okay. was responsible. So say okay, let's let's start. So saying NATO provoked the war in Ukraine. Yeah. Which I think there's some truth to. I mean, I, I probably wouldn't. I don't think that letter was particularly well drafted. But signing it is not a red line for me. Um, and if it were, I think I'd find it very difficult to justify it being a red line for me and it not be a red line for me that Keir Starmer not said, I, I, I believe there should be a state of Israel. He has said that these three of the leading human rights organizations in the world have come out. One of them is Israeli and have said mm. that Israel is an apartheid state because it does these different things. He said, yeah. no, I don't agree with that. No, I think boycott, divest and sanctions would be terrible. And that, while I, I, I accept you disagree with him there, you disagree with him on that, but you think that's perfectly reasonable and he should be leader of the Labour Party. A mm. backbencher signed something about NATO that you disagree with and you think that they should be expelled. And what I find interesting is that the only explanation I can find for drawing that line, but not that line, is that one of them is is seen as acceptable by, by the political establishment, by Keir Starmer and the mainstream is, press. No, you see, this is, the, this is the Putin talking point, isn't it? Supporting Ukraine is racist. You know, everybody, everybody who supports Ukraine is really doing it because they don't crazy. support Yemen, because they <laughs> Paul, don't support Palestine. This is not remotely what I've said in any way whatsoever. That is the logic that behind the, the point you're making. No, it's if, not. If you, <laughs> Paul, can I just quickly just sum up, just quickly, what, what Michael is saying here? He's saying, if you're going to say that people who suggested NATO expansion played a role in the invasion of Ukraine... They said it did. Right, okay. They shouldn't be in the Labour Party. If no, I'm we're not talking about withdraw their name. No, 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 we're not talking about people supporting the state of Israel. There are lots. Jeremy Corbyn supports the two-state solution. You could lump him in and that. Okay, we're not talking about people about supporting the right of the state of Israel to exist. Yeah. That's not the discussion we're having. It's no. about Israel being described as an apartheid state yeah, by the which is, I would describe it I would describe right. it as an okay state. but the point that Michael is making is why should it be possible for it to be perfectly permissible and acceptable and legitimate to deny the apartheid regime that does exist in Israel according to Amnesty Human Rights Watch and Betzalem and that's fine to be in the Labour Party but if you say the wrong thing about Ukraine you're out why what's the difference there's a difference What's the difference? Yeah, th there's a difference. It's not saying the wrong thing about Ukraine. 
It's no, I think it's wrong, by the way. I don't, by the way, I think Russia is ruled by a despicable, kleptocratic, gangster, chauvinist regime and de-Ukrainization, all the rhetoric that they have makes it very clear where they stand. But Israel is an apartheid state. Yes. And the leader of the Labour Party quoted a racist quote by Harold Wilson, I have to say, about how Palestine was a, what did he say? It was like a, a it was a desert where they, where nothing they was made, there. They made the desert bloom because Arabs can't one. grow things. It was racist. Blatant racism. So why is it possible for Keir Starmer to say, to deny the apartheid nature, which Amnesty and Human Rights Watch and Betzalem say it is, and that's fine and acceptable, but you're beyond the pale on Ukraine um, for the reasons you've described. Why? Well, okay, just let me explain it to you. Um, it is entirely legitimate within the Labour Party for, the, for, for, for there to be a range of opinions on Israel, which are, some which I would not share, okay, um, which A, massively support Israel, you know, everything it does, criticise it in its own terms. Uh, Keir's position, I, I wouldn't share, right the way through to an anti-Zionist position that I think all of, or non-Zionist position that many of the left would put, and certainly all uh, the Jewish Voice for Labour people who are still in the party. Who they would. want to purge. Yeah, of course, yeah, okay. But that that's entirely, I, I want to fight for a party where it's legitimate for the, for, and it, remember what I said before, it's mainstream tradition of the Labour Party has been to support Israel. That's been its mainstream. If you want a party that has never supported it and does not, okay, that's going to be a different party. Well, with just, Ukraine, just like, yeah, just, with Ukraine. Just, so, so here's a contrast, right? A range of opinions, an alliance of people around uh, progressive goals can have different opinions on Israel. They cannot have different opinions on a genocidal war being perpetrated against a people okay. who okay, are just, right just now Paul, just, in yeah. their thousands. Just quickly, Paul, because I've got to go to a wedding and I'm going to get killed yeah. if I don't finish the stream as a result. But just quickly, uh, do you think that all Labour figures who support arming Saudi Arabia, who are on record supporting arming, arming Saudi Arabia as it carpet bombs Yemen, I'm including people who've supported selling weapons to Saudi Arabia, like Luke Akers, who sits on the National Executive Committee. And I also mean dozens, and we're talking dozens of Labour MPs who voted in 2016. They defied the whip when Jamie Corbyn put down a motion, or they can't remember, the motion was on arming Saudi Arabia. Do you think they should be kicked out of the Labour Party? If you support no, the... What? Not, no. What? Oh, so, okay. Yemen so is the biggest no, humanitarian okay. crisis so you, on earth. So you do then, Owen. Are you saying Luke Akers should be kicked out of the Labour Party? No, I, no I'm not. You're the one who's saying people should be kicked yeah, out of the Labour Party. I am making a difference. Yemen is the worst humanitarian crisis on earth. They, no, they are murdering children in buses with bombs some, from Britain. some understanding here. There are many differences that are containable within the Labour Party. But for me, the difference that says NATO is the aggressor in, uh, in the right. Ukraine crisis is not containable. Because Paul, Russia Paul. is waging a genocidal war. Right. Okay. Why? So that's, yeah, that's my yeah. politics. That's my opinion. Why is the life of a Yemeni so much lower uh, than that of a Ukrainian? Go, go again. So, Owen, this is the Putin talking point. No, what? How, dare you? Is racist, How dare you? Supporting Ukraine is racist. Uh, because no, it's, okay. I support, support anyone who supports Ukraine I, is I, raising I, Ukraine I, above brown people. Paul, That's the Paul, Putin talking point. Paul, and I won't I support no. I support Ukraine's just war of liberation against Russian aggression. I support Good. arming Ukraine against Good. Russian aggression. Okay. On Yemen, where I've been to a Yemeni refugee camp, I've met Yemeni refugee children who drew pictures. Yep. Of their homes being bombed. So by you British were asking me, weapons. what's the difference? There is I'm no asking, difference between the life of a Ukrainian. And, right. and there's no uh, difference. So I'm asking you, why don't you support booting out Labour MPs who support arming a head chopping, a dictatorship that beheads people like myself for being gay and Michael, that brutalizes women, that exports international extremism and carpet bombs Yemen? Why are those people in the broad church of the Labour Party legitimate political actors and the people you're describing in Ukraine aren't? Why? It's sad that they exist. It's sad that they have that position. I don't know how many of them there actually are. Dozens. But, okay, dozens. Right, right, okay. It's sad. But it's not the same. Okay, it's not the same. Why? Because it, Why? Right, because, right, well, one, we, Labour, are a party whose commitment to NATO is unshakable. It's, it's non-negotiable. But whatever, well, you be well, you, sorry, babe, But what's that you? got to do with this? What, what's it got to do with the value of life? It's a military organisation. No, no, so no, no, the sanctity no, no, of NATO is no, more important than anything else. No, no, no. The, the, two, the, the value of all lives are equal for me. Good. I'm well, glad we've established it. 
Okay, so, so but labor so, tradition, but labor tradition values some lives more than other, and we have to be bound by labor tradition. No, that's nothing to do with labor tradition. NATO, labor's tradition on NATO is that we're part of NATO, and you cannot go on the doorstep with people who have who have wrongly and falsely, you know, echoed the propaganda talking points of, of a guy who has unleashed a genocidal right, war. Right, we you all can agree. go on the doorstep with people who have, who have not just echoed the talking points of, of, of the leaders of Saudi Arabia, but have actively gone there and supported sending the precise wars which are killing people That's in Yemen. The That's the party you joined. That's the party you joined. I mean, sorry, but, I've but been this in... Is just, there's only two parties in... in there's there's one in, party that I've can get into government. In if your argument is you have, like. to, you have to accept... You have to accept that in this party, nothing is about righteousness, nothing is about justice. What it is about is these are the set parameters of the party. It's a party that supported colonialism quite quite recently. It's a party that went to the war in, in Iraq very recently. And so what we're going to do is when we're assessing who should be in it and who should not be in it, we're saying, is your... Um, is your relationship to foreign policy within the Labour tradition and the Labour tradition being an incredibly imperialist and, no, and one which doesn't no, value lives equally? So well, I don't see how you can both say lives should be valued equally and we're going to let our sort of compassion towards people be sort of limit, limited within that which has been valued within the Labour tradition. It, it just doesn't make any moral sense. So it makes a lot of moral sense to me, but we're going around in circles. To me, I don't want Stalinism to be part of the Labour tradition. That, that's my position. I don't want... See, there was a communist You want party. Saudi apologism to be acceptable no, 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 with the no, Labour listen, tradition? There was a communist party in the 1930s. It signed a pact... It, it advocated a pact with Hitler. It's Why got is it relevant? <laughs> it's, got nothing to, it's got nothing to do with the Labour tradition. It would be much better for me... From my point of view, if you know, we had an internationalist left, an internationalist centre, but we, but but having a Stalinist left that that continually pollutes the 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 image and perception of being left with its support for this guy in Moscow is not, not even supporting the. I mean, anyway, no I, I, think we we need to, I need to go. I need to go. I need. I need to go to a wedding. Yeah, I think we should all. Yeah, but I mean, we're not going to agree on it, but. No, well, apparently, I, as I've said, if you're an apologist for a head-chopping regime which carpet bombs children, by the way, who, including children on a bus on the way back from a picnic, I know how bad they are. I know how bad they are. But I they're fine in the Labour Party. The glorious it's not, it's not a question of fine. It's a question yeah. of it's, it's a question of what is social democracy? What are its basic and, and moral? And political tenets, arming and child murderers, apparently. Anyway, look, we need to end. We need to end there. I've enjoyed this, by the way. It's good to have a passionate discussion, um, and it has been great. And I think you've both been very eloquently uh, put uh, put your cases. Uh, so I really appreciate both of you. I've known you both for a very long time, um, and it's it's lovely to have you here. Go and get some sun. I know lots of people don't have sun. I looked up Stockport's weather, where I'm from. <laughs> cloudy so i apologize to the people of my hometown for suggesting this is a glorious sunny day when it isn't in many parts of the world all right lots of love everyone really enjoyed it and uh, take care of yourselves thanks for listening everyone i hope you found that informative educational uh, interesting and I certainly did. Uh, do support us on Patreon to keep the show on the road. Uh, forward slash Owen Jones eighty four. Leave us some stars. That'd be nice. Spread the word. And I look forward to speaking to you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.